0: When I was in college, I was always a little jealous of those who were auditing the classes that I took. You know how this goes. They're sitting there, even though they're not getting credit for the class, there are no exams, there are no assignments, there are no papers to write. This is too good to be true, I thought. For those who are auditing this class today... (laughs) You won't be graded on your performance, which is a good thing. But let me remind you that you are in the company of many who audited Jesus' classes when he was roaming the earth. And some of them were Pharisees. In fact, you picked up on this, didn't you? In that first verse... On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. They were auditing him. They were there not so much to follow. They were there to get an angle on who he was. And in fact, if they had the opportunity to entrap him, They were curious and they kept their distance, which is interesting because one of the meanings of the word Pharisee is distant. Now, the reason that that is the case with those that were seeking to be so faithful to the Hebrew religion Was that they chose to separate themselves from the riffraff of society because they were seeking to be the ones who were true to the Torah. They wanted to serve God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength. And the only way that they could perceive that this could be done was to separate themselves from those who were not trying or who were trying less than they should be trying. Pharisees have, of course, gotten a very bad name in our readings of the scripture, but it wasn't the case that they were in such a situation of judgment themselves during this time because they were the religious elite. And in fact, they weren't seeking so much to judge others. But how could they do any less? They simply were trying to keep people on the right track and to live that track themselves. I remember that when my brother and myself and my sister accomplished that great feat as children of learning to ride a bike my dad came to us and he said I want to teach you one more thing and we saw him working and putting these triangle pieces of board to some long sticks and he came to us and he said these are stilts and he stood them up in front of us and he said, I want you to learn to walk on these stilts. The platform, the little foothold was about 18 inches, I guess, above the the ground, and he got on those stilts and showed us that it could be done. I was amazed at him walking around the yard, and then he said, now you get on, and so I crawled up there, and my dad would hold the stilts with his hand and steady them, and I would hold on, and I would begin the walking process, which was very awkward, and I was teetering always, ready to fall, until finally I did gain a sense of balance, and he released his hands. And I was able to do the remarkable. I was able to walk around by myself above the ground. It was incredible. <laughs> it was incredible. I felt such power and prestige at being able to to live 18 inches above the face of the planet. <laughs> it is... It is out of that kind of feeling, I believe, that the Pharisees were living. It was that they, they had discovered a place in which they could be faithful. And it was, it was a place truly that was separate, but it was filled with such intentionality to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But they had more to learn as well. When I was a child, I can remember my mother uh, giving us instructions about dinner etiquette. You probably got some of this too. Still today, I remember that the fork goes on the left side of the plate, on top of the napkin or beside the napkin, and then on. this is the way it's done at our house. Listen, now it may be done differently at your house, but this is the way it's done at our house And the knife is next to the plate and facing the plate with the blade. Not away from the plate, but facing the plate. And then the spoon is beside the knife. Have I gotten that right or what? (laughs) I remember my mother would be proud of me. My mother would be proud of me. This etiquette filtered through my life. Um, through the years. I can remember, too, a little rhyme that she would teach us there at the table because she would catch us, I guess, being lazy, and she would say, Bill, Bill, if you're able, get your elbows. You've heard this, too. Okay, you've heard this, too. These were important things, important things, but there are even more important things when it comes to table etiquette and the hosting of dinners particularly. I read that Emily Post, uh, 30 years ago now, wrote a book in which she um, gave instructions. And this was not something that was so new, uh, but she put it in writing that there was this reciprocal responsibility. If somebody invited you over to their house and served you a meal, that you were to return the favor by inviting them over to your house. And in fact, she went on to say, if they were not able to come on your first invitation, that does not relieve you of the responsibility at that point. You are to invite them again and even a third time to try to arrange so that you could do for them what they had done for you it 's interesting this is just logical for us isn 't it it 's instinct um, that we would want to do something nice for somebody that has done something nice for us, even in our families, we function this way. we have this idea that that we take. Turns with the responsibilities of hosting at Thanksgiving or at Christmas and who was responsible for that last meal around the table. And, and there is this sense of responsibility, this shared responsibility, even in the family. Jesus talks about this, about inviting people over. And even when you are invited over, how you fit into the larger picture of what goes on. I suppose that at some large banquets, they do have seating charts. And in fact, I would imagine that they have to be very careful about this at at like the White House. I mean, you wouldn't want to seat somebody in a place that was less than their status, you know. But I would imagine that that gets very, very complicated at times when you begin to try to figure out who should be sitting at the table with the president um, and the first lady, who should be there and who should, who could be at a little further distance away. Um, considering that Jesus must have been observing this even at his host's house, um, he gives this parable of how. If you come in and you sit at a very prominent location, wouldn't it be the worst thing in the world if someone of higher status than you then came into the room a little later and it was obvious that you were going to have to give up your seat for them to sit where you had chosen? Better, Jesus said, to start off in a very non-presumptuous way and in a way that is a non-honored position, and then be asked later to come and to sit in a seat of greater honor. We do these kinds of things at home. You don't think that this is going on, but it is going on even in your house. Now tell me, even though you don't have arranged seating, there are no nameplates there, you know what chair you sit in at home, right? (laughs) And if someone were to presume upon that place, you would think the world was falling apart. (laughs) Jesus is encouraging us to take a humble path in the ways in which we relate to those that are around us. He got this partially at least by osmosis. His mother was steeped in the idea, oh, I know, Jesus was God's son. He certainly would know what this is about. But do you remember how Mary celebrated when she heard the news that she had conceived and how she went to her cousin Elizabeth and how there in Elizabeth's presence, she began to sing a song. In fact, Luke writes it and he remembers it this way. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. And that changed everything for her because she said in her mind, If God can do this for me, this is the way God works for everybody, that God chooses those with lowliness. She goes on to say, Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Powerful, powerful words. Some of you may have realized that in the reading of this passage of scripture, that Marilyn left out about five verses. There, um, that's not Marilyn's doing. She wasn't trying to leave anything out for us. Uh, but it is a part of this passage that we had chosen to to get to the the root of this concern by skipping over one little section. You know pastors do that at times, right? We make these choices. But I want to go back and to look with you a little more closely at this passage and to see what happened just after that first verse where the Pharisees were there with him and they were watching him closely, it says, just then in front of him, there was a man who had dropsy, and I had no idea what dropsy was. I mean, it's not something that we talk about these days, and so I had to look that up in order to understand it. But dropsy, is, it has something to do with, with water retention to the point that, that especially the legs of an individual will become so swelled that uh, they almost become immobile. Uh, because of water retention. In fact, the person that's dealing with dropsy has this strange condition where they are so thirsty, they can never get enough to drink. And yet they are swollen with fluids. And here this man comes before Jesus and Jesus asked the lawyers and the Pharisees, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? It was a Sabbath that this was happening but they were silent so Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away and then he said to them if one of you has a child or an ox that has fallen into a well will you not immediately pull it out on a Sabbath day and they could not reply to this I wondered to myself if that man was on the guest list I have a feeling he was not don't you Don't you imagine that he just knew where Jesus was and he found his way some some way he was able to get to Jesus because he knew that he needed to be healed. Um, In reading through Luke, uh, this beautiful gospel recently, it came to me that you remember that story of how Jesus was in a house and he was surrounded by people and there were four friends that brought uh, a friend of theirs who was crippled and they could not get into the house and so they they went onto the roof of the house they pulled away some of the roof and they lowered him on a blanket that was tied to some ropes they lowered him right down into the midst of that gathering this is one of my favorite stories of all i just love that story i can just picture it in my mind they lowered this friend down so that he was immediately in front of Jesus. And Jesus healed him. He told him to, to get up, pick up your bed and, and walk, to, to, to move. And he did. And it was an astounding thing. I had never realized in my reading of that passage of scripture, I had never realized before the people that were gathered in that room. You can go back and check this yourselves. But it was a room that was literally filled with Pharisees. In the passage there, it does not say that people who were following Jesus were there. All of those that were there were auditing Jesus. It says that Pharisees had come from every town in Judea and Galilee. If that were the case, they had packed that house To listen to Jesus and yet it was these friends who really were seeking to follow Jesus that brought their friend in order to be healed I want to say you go Jesus this is what you do this is who you relate to these are the people that you choose I love to listen to Tom Long preach one of the stories that Tom tells is that a number of years ago there in Yankee Stadium that it was a beautiful September evening and the stands were almost full. Um, it was a beautiful night and the opposing team was at bat. Uh, there in the left field stands, there was a young boy that had had come there with his mother. His mother had brought him and they had purchased some cheap seats. And he was nine years old. He had on his Yankee cap and he had brought with him his new little league glove. Any of you who have ever put on a new glove realize that it doesn't even open well. You You know that, how you have to work it to make it to make it work the right way his was clenched tight but in the midst of that game the one of the batters hit a long foul ball that was going directly toward this little boy and everyone in the place saw it happening and in fact finally the little boy saw it happening and he realized his opportunity And bless his soul, he lifted up that glove and widened it and had it ready to catch that ball that was coming his way when all of a sudden this 35-year-old guy who was just a couple of rows over, who had also brought his glove, reached out and grabbed it, snatched it right away from that boy and sat down in his seat the entire stadium was silent <laughs> the mother leaned over and put her arm around the boy and began to comfort him and to tell him that it was going to be okay while the guy that had caught it pocketed the ball someone rose back hollered out finally and said, give the kid the ball. The guy just sat there. And then a chorus of people around the guy who hollered joined with him. And before you knew it, the entire stadium was hollering at the top of their lungs (laughs) Give the kid the ball. Everybody knew what was the right thing to do, but this guy sitting there. But finally, he got up, took it out of his pocket, and gave it to the kid. We know, we know instinctively when we hear these parables, we know that Jesus is right about this. Jesus is right about the idea of inviting not just your friends and your brothers, but those who are unsuspecting, those who are poor and crippled and lame and blind. There is something that is filled with truth in these words. And so for those of you who are taking this course for credit, there is an assignment there's an assignment for this week. In fact, there are three assignments. Some of you may want to take notes as I speak this to you. Assignment number one for this next week is to reach out to someone who is very different from you. In fact, who would be surprised that you even noticed them. And somehow, just be kind. That's assignment number one. Assignment number two this week, look out specifically for someone who is poor and who needs assistance and give assistance in some way to that person. Assignment number three plan an unconventional dinner to be hosted at your house. Now, you don't actually have to do this, okay? But you have to plan it, okay? Are you writing this? <laughs> Y'all got this? Plan an unconventional dinner, including someone who would be shocked that you would even ask them or consider them to invite them over to your house now that is the instructions for those that are taking this course for credit for those of you who are auditing the class you're completely off the hook you don't have to do anything you don't have to do any of this in fact this is just a sermon and i want you to remember that there are no responsibilities or assignments because this is just a sermon